Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQ just drop shot? I could have been. I, I have plans. I like this All shit. It is Dance off, bro. It is your Me and destiny. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And today on episode 18, we are going to be having an all Star Wars episode. Before we get to that, I want to get to Lee. How you doing, Lee? I'm doing well, man. We're, this is still before Christmas. Like we've done three episodes in like a week. Now. Yeah, this is our last episode before Christmas. After that, we're gonna we'll figure out what the hell we want to talk about, passengers or whatever. But yeah, we'll see you guys in the new year. So take it for granted. You got two yeah, episodes yeah. this week. That's the way that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like we're still gonna be on things. Like we, we, I think we have another. You're you're on in session. It's gonna be out a couple of days before this airs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about talking about exactly Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, was I ever against the ropes? Those they they didn't like it at all. <laughs> they didn't like it at all. It was a fun one. I'll be honest. It was a fun one. It was a fun one because I, I felt. You know what? I, I have to hold my own. I have to give ASC uh, some strength, you know, because this is in session we're talking about. Sure. I mean, but uh, yeah, so it was a very, it was a fun one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just still looking forward to Christmas, man. And I'm going away to, to London. Fuck, that's next week. Jesus Christ. So quick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm really excited to go to, I, I went to London last year uh, and I just fell in love with the place. I can't wait to get to London. I've never been to London. It's another place. I've yeah. never been to Europe, which fucking blows. I'd love to get there. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you have to. It's gorgeous. Uh, how about yourself, man? I'm a little under the weather today, but I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me, so I'm going to actually <laughs> truck through this in order for us to talk about Rogue One. I can't wait to talk about Rogue One, and I'm flat out telling you guys that I love this film, so... I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, man, I um, I really like this film. I have my criticisms, but I really do want to talk about it. And I, it, as a sort of um, introduction, I think, because it's our Star Wars episode. Right. And uh, it's going to be all Star Wars. I think it's probably important for people to sort of grasp what familiarity with the series we're both coming from. Okay. Opinions, Star Wars inspires a lot of crazy opinions and, 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 and strong-hearted defense and or <laughs> ire. And it's good to know exactly where the person you're talking to lies like i already know but maybe the world needs to know too how fucking crazy you are with star wars (laughs) (laughs) i had a feeling this was directed directly at me it's like i he's basically telling everyone that's okay i like how crazy i can be you know and i'm I'm actually putting it down like i'm actually I, i won't be shy about it i've seen rogue run three times and uh my youngest daughter loves star wars and she wants to see it again. And the holidays are just around the corner. We're entering that period of time. And because to me this is a fantastic film, I think that I might actually take her again. So that puts my tally up to four. <laughs> you know, but um, I don't know. I mean, Rogue One has given me a renewed faith in Lucasfilm and Disney um, and what they can accomplish together. I'm coming at it as a guy who's been watching Star Wars for what? The better part of what, 32 years now. Uh, mm. I'm not a fan of the prequels, but I'm not going to shit on them. 
I, I refuse to do that because I understand that there's a lot of uh, good stuff that has come out of the prequels. But I'm, I'm not the sure. kind of guy that's going to try to over-intellectualize them. The notions that they bring, the message that they bring are kind of interesting, but they're very poorly made films. My mom used to, uh, if I go back in my history with Star Wars, my mom used to uh, bribe me into doing housework. As, as, instead of giving sure. me money, you know, my mom used to record these things off television. Star Wars was on TV back in the day and she would record it on a video cassette and then when she had it on a video cassette you know she would like oh, okay Jason you want to watch Star Wars and well I'll, I'll, I'll show you how to fold the clothes and then you can watch uh, the movies and so, when I really started paying attention was because of Yoda must have been around five mm. or six years old and I was always captivated at how small creatures such as Yoda had such control I think I still approach Star Wars with a little bit of my my my, my child outlook on the series, you know, even if they start grasping these serious themes as we're going to see in Rogue One, which is a very, very important movie in my opinion. Um, I still, when I sit down to watch these movies the first time i walk in watching like when i watched the force awakens and even the first time i saw rogue one i walked in as an adult and it really ruined the experience for me because i was saying that ah, well that's not what i would have done that's not what i would have done this is not the story i want but instead of looking at it as the story it, it was you know the same way as when i was a kid you know i was taking it in without being critical without looking at it i was just taking it in that's why i always like repeated viewings the second time i saw the force awakens i really understood what the hell it was and i was like oh I'm allowed to be a kid again, you know, and to, to look at it, you know, and even try to grasp the larger themes as a result of looking at it through a child's eyes, but then interpreting it as an adult, which I think is what's necessary for Rogue One as well. That being said, these things are just a, a, a part of a, of, a, of a history for me that really enables me to look at the world in a different lens. And I love sure. the metaphorical implications that Star Wars can have. And there's a reason why people flock to it, you know? It's, there's a reason also yeah. that people like my girlfriend will enjoy the Harry Potter universe. It comes at a point in time in your life where you're a little bit more open to the strange and to the uh, exotic I'll say and even to the the, the surreal thing. and um, outside of the films what's what's your familiarity with Star Wars did you read many books or did you play any games what about toys um yeah I mean when I was a kid I had a, a few toys that I sadly don't have anymore today I remember having a Admiral Piet uh, toy I mean you know those those three 0.5 inch dolls or maybe a little bit smaller than that i remember having a a puppet yoda where you could stick your hand and the only thing that would move it was his head he had this little gray hair in the back it was great so the toys i think anyway for me the toys were never really big i was more big on the ninja turtles toys sure i was born in 1980 the year empire strikes back came out and then in 1983 i was still young for that the type of toy that kenner had put out for star wars and it's clearly not the marketing machine that it is now right where they're pumping out just toys after toys after toys yeah there are a couple of lines out in, in 1983 but my parents I mean I'd never really expressed like oh, I want this it was a little bit later I think the reading of the uh, extended universe is something that I kind of strayed away from because it just got too complicated to me you know people inventing all these stories fan fiction has always been a nuisance to me I don't understand you know it's not something I want I want the creators to 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 start making I mean you could argue that Rogue One is fan fiction if you want because it's not from George Lucas but I don't know I was never really interested in that stuff however I was always interested a little bit 
in the lore. So, I mean, I, I read a little bit of the encyclopedias that had to do with Star Wars, trying to understand who these characters were, where they were from and all that. But I'm not well versed in all the characters, like the guys at Collider or something like that, that have like a, an encyclopedic knowledge of Star Wars. I am not coming at this in that way at all. Sure. Uh, I did, however, when, when Disney bought Marvel and then uh, as a result bought Lucasfilm as well a little bit later, I was happy that they were going to have Star Wars comics. So I've been collecting those and reading those. The Darth Vader comics, I've been collecting those just to get a little bit of what's going on, you know, in this new canon. I did read Catalyst prior to seeing Rogue One, which gave me a little bit of help in understanding uh, character motivations between Galen and, and Krennic and all that stuff. I've had a renewed interest because I like the direction in which Lucasfilm is going right now. And so I'm coming in with the more than average knowledge of Star Wars. Sure. But I am, I'm in no way like a, like a doctor of Star Wars. <laughs> and how about you? I mean, how, how are you coming into this? I mean, what's your relationship to Star Wars? We won't be, we won't be shy away from this. You're 10 years younger than I am. Yeah, of course. And so this is a very different perspective. <laughs> you were from the prequel era and I'm from the OT. Yeah, era. yeah. So that's what I mean. Like I, I grew up in hype fever playground when the prequels were huge you know which was everywhere and everything for every boy mostly maybe some girls mostly boys right so i like i already i i had already seen all the original films that was more important uh my my dad showed me all the films we had we got the tapes and so on so that was like i i wasn't coming into star i was i was well first in star wars before the prequels but the prequels were kind of the the maiden voyage of of childhood at that point my friends and i we just absolutely at that shit up uh and like unabashedly so to the point where i do have this lingering sweet spot for them because they were very formative um I, they're not good <laughs> what you said earlier is it's all true and there's so much more <laughs> but i think what i love most about star wars was the fact of, of its impact in other things that i like i loved toys you know i loved yeah, and i loved video games i mean I, I still love video games I, I play video games all the time and and star wars ones were a kind of mainstay the moment i see one i, I usually couldn't get one because <laughs> they're a little expensive uh but um my friends would have them uh you know and they'd, they'd be like that one thing i'd be that guy like hey instead of going out today why don't we uh, go into your house and play star wars <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, there was and a lot of that stuff was focused around the prequels, obviously. It only much later did the original trilogy get a resurgence. I think it was the Lego games that that's when they started come crawling back into it. There was just enough Could be. enough time had passed from the prequels ending that the Lego games had decided to do, to do the original three films. And from that point, I think that's when... There was this widespread discontent with the the trilogy that had recently happened. Uh, that's weird. That's right. from my perspective. That's what happened because obviously I was a kid still. That's that's when people started saying, "Well, wait, there's these three films, you know." And the uh, the Lego games were fucking huge. So, <laughs> and that's and that's even way later down the line. There was okay. there was like. Wow. Game Boy games and fucking Odd Racer games and Jedi battles and Episode One. Each each film, except maybe Attack of the Clones, had its own entry on PlayStation. Piles of things like that, and that's before like I didn't even play any of the fucking Jet Fighter games and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> all the all the good ones. Right, right, right. I played the crap ones. But see, you're making a good point though because you couldn't get away from the prequels. I remember I was 19 when Phantom Menace came out, and the merchandising for it was just insane. I couldn't yeah. get away from it. Yeah, exactly. I, I told. Totally got that too. I mean, like I like the Jar Jar Binks cereal, Jar Jar Binks fucking uh, sticky tongue toy. 
where you threw him and he stuck to walls. I mean, like, and it was just his head. Oh I had no idea they made that. And, like, amazing. there's there's piles of shit like that. That was in everything. I had one of the Adarf Malls wow. ship in Lego. I built it myself. Okay. And, and I mean, like, That's that cool. was that was my version of what kids would have is like the the Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. I I had Darth Maul's ship, <laughs> which which I got. My daughter for Christmas. Oh, that's she's not listening to this, which is cool. I got her the Force Awakens Millennium Falcon. Oh, so and she's going to love that. You know, I'm pretty sure that she is going to start crying when she sees it. And she's going to start crying when it falls to pieces. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, 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 this is probably one that she might not take apart. It's not that if you take it apart, it's that when you play with it, it falls apart. <laughs> It does, really? Oh, yeah, those ships, at least mine, man. I mean, like, I play with your spaceship in your hand, like, wow, I've got Darth Maul's spaceship. He's the coolest character ever, you think, you nine-year-old or whatever you were. Then, you know, you sort of, as you're swooping it around, it touches the arm of a sofa, and suddenly the back end is gone. And then it hits the ground, and the pieces are everywhere, and you're a sobbing wreck on the floor. <laughs> uh, it looks pretty solid. I mean, maybe it was, they got your complaint in the mail. <laughs> Could be. I mean, even then, the Millennium Falcon's probably a better structure as well for lego it's it's like it's a heavy base like the darth maul thing was like pointed kind of more like the imperial flagship thing so they're always it it looks unsteady (laughs) okay so there's always that element to it it was not a sturdy ship in design you know they're like top heavy so they're gonna hit the ground all the fucking time (laughs) that imagination that was always my thing with star wars and and the original trilogy is what like when i became a teenager and i started going back to the original trilogy more i like i completely fell head over heels just rekindled entirely just what i think you're gonna hit on great about rogue one uh and what's great about star wars in general is that if you invest any real time in this series you're always going to find the answer you're looking for there's always so much there that just doesn't lend itself to a film structure readily you know like it's it's so heavy in lore clearly these are scripts that people think 400 times over before they let them get anywhere near a fucking camera and they have poured (laughs) every little bit they have to tie it back into every little bit of media that's already existent I mean you just can't half-ass these films so there's always going to be this sense that a first watch of a Star Wars film is very likely to leave you dispassionate I'll probably phrase a little of my sort of concessions about that as we go along but at the same time I know if I spent like the time sit down and watch this film a couple more times I'll find ways to love it before if if we're going to say if we're going to state the case for Star Wars films having so much content that repeat watches are the way to go maybe then you have to be able to concede that there are some structures and maybe some content that doesn't appeal to the same core demographic and that's right. going to cause like a dissonance between people watching this film and, and that's the thing you're going to see the most polar of opposite opinions watching Star Wars because everybody imagines it some way differently all right so I just want to make sure that you guys understand that this is going to be a very Spoiler heavy, in-depth look at Star Wars Rogue One. So, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. I'm saying it enough. Spoilers, 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 okay? I'll even say it once we return from the break, because we're going to take a little break. I'm going to put on a nice trailer for you guys. But that's it. So please, if ever you haven't seen it yet, you know, just zone out, put this on your playlist and whatnot, and come back and, and, and listen to us after that and comment on whatever you have to say. So like I said, we'll be back after this with a very spoiler heavy review of Rogue One. See you in a bit. 
Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. all that remains to push back the Empire. You think you might be able to help us? When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. If my father built this thing, we need to find him. All right. How many do I need? They are requesting a call sign. It's, um... Rogue. Rogue One. The power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Hold of this moment. The force is strong. Make ten men feel like a hundred. We'll take the next chance. And the next. You're rebels, aren't you? Save the rebellion! Save the dream! All right, so welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed the trailer for Rogue One. So, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is going to be the first anthology film in the Star Wars universe. And it's essentially how the Rebels managed to steal the plans to the Death Star, and uh, which leads essentially right into the first Star Wars movie that came out in 1977. The cast, Felicity Jones stars as Jyn Erso, Diego Luna as Captain Cassian Andor, Alan Tudyk as K2SO, Donnie Yen as Chirrut Imwe, Wen Yang as Baze Malbus, Ben Mendelsohn as Orson Krennic, Forrest Whitaker as Saul Guerrera, Riz Ahmed as Bodhi Rook, Mads Mikkelsen as Galen Erso. 
Lee, what did you think of Star Wars Rogue One, sir? I really like this film. And the more I, the more time I spend with it, the more I find things to like about it. As I, as I was kind of saying, these are films that are full of just content that you're just going to fall in love with. And if I, if I were a kid who grew up with this film, I would be over the fucking moon to have a film that was so cool. You know, it was, it's just got a lot of, if, for lack of a better word, it's just a cool film. It has got lots of interesting little tidbits and especially it's going to be a real, you know, it's going to be this real gateway drug into the Star Wars extended universe for a lot of people. I can almost guarantee it. But oh, yeah. it's, um, there's a lot in there that I, I really liked. And a part of me, the, the more boring part, <laughs> says about the stuff that I like to see in films today as an adult that I felt were, was missing not not even missing i would say but occasionally misguided or could have been done in more interesting ways uh i i've taken a few critiques that way about rogue one i don't think this is a perfect movie in my review i give it a b plus because yeah i saw yeah i mean i i gotta knock it i gotta be a little more measured about realistically what personally I like in Star Wars and what I think Star Wars you kind of have to blend all these car- like these like angles right and I gotta cut out the ones I don't care about. I don't care about the ones that people you don't like Star Wars at all. Whatever, don't care. <laughs> Take it out of the review. Right. Uh, you like to see movies told well. Okay, I'll keep that in the review. Uh, you like to see intentions of a movie explored thoroughly. I yeah. couldn't agree more. And I feel that sometimes the intentions of this film strayed now and then. Uh, we may have spent a little too much time doing things we shouldn't have been doing, or we should have had a longer film. That had the time to do a lot of the things it wanted to do. There's a lot of kind of right. tit-for-tat options there uh, that could have made this maybe, you know, that bit better. And then on top of it, you got to consider what there is to gain from it, I guess. And that's only like a small thing. What do we gain from it? There's a couple of little notes here and there about when you explore more what the characters mean as set pieces than they are as characters themselves. There's a lot of the relationships and stuff that you can look at and go, that's a pretty cool thing if you really want to spend time looking at it, that you can take away something from that. But I think most people will walk away from this film like it was a cool action film. And I agree, it's it's a damn cool action film. And maybe there's a there's an element of that that I miss in Star Wars proper that I felt should have been more in Rogue One. You debate your own preference, basically. And in my own preference, I like when Star Wars gets heavy in its lore. And I, I prefer when Star Wars takes its very uh, flat and pointed and see-through dialogue and just goes straight forward the whole way through. And we spend a lot of time right. really reveling in, in these big, uh, bigger themes and motives than your average action movie has time to, I suppose. I feel like that kind of balance, it was hard for Rogue One and I, that kind of chipped away at it for me. But... Overall, a B plus is a it's a huge grade, you know. Like I think that's still a really, a really good favorable review, you know, in, in big picture reviews. I mean, like I'm, I don't even really care about grades. I don't actually think they mean anything, right. you know. A B plus is just a fucking it's just a number, you know, in letter form. It doesn't mean like it doesn't go into any detail about what I really like about the film or what I don't. So it, yeah, whatever. I, I want to talk a lot about what I liked and what I didn't like about Rogue One. But I still think, overall, if we're going to go flat out whether or not someone should see the film, of course you should see the film. Get out of here. Get out of this spoiler review that you're jumping straight into instead of watching the film. Just go watch it first. (laughs) Then come back and then we can discuss things. How about you, Jason? Well, 
uh, some people might have heard me already talk about it, but I'm going to reiterate uh, essentially what I what I think of the movie, and I, I I love this picture, love this picture very much. I feel sad that I don't have it with me at the time because I would actually watch it again tonight as I'm going to bed, the same way as I became a fet obsessed with the Force Awakens. Sure. I um I really think that this is a very potent story. It's an important story in the Star Wars universe. Mm. I think that what uh, Gareth Edwards managed to do was at the same time please uh, Star Wars fans, but also be able to cater to mass audiences that are looking for, like you said, a little bit more of an entertainment sure. uh, value out of it. Uh, will it leave the the regular audience goer? Uh, a little bit perplexed? Well, I'm glad to say no, because mm. I brought my daughters, both my daughters and my girlfriend, to see Rogue One last night. And I asked them, were you guys lost at any point during the movie? And they said, no, this is a perfectly fine story, and we really enjoyed it. I liked the characters, you know? Yeah. There's some characters that they possibly thought were a little bit underdeveloped, mm. but it didn't necessarily... They, they served their purpose for the moment they were in the film. I'm looking at, like, Bodhi Rook specifically, is a guy that I feel that we... we didn't necessarily need to get to know because he had a specific purpose, which was delivering the message. That's, That's interesting because I, I and... actually think I'll probably get to it later, but I think the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, fine. I mean, I, I well, I'll well, I'll be able to get into a little bit of, about what why I think he's actually good, but at the same time, he's a guy that I didn't really give a shit about. Sure. You know, and that's that was fine for me because I, depending on what kind of personality you have, you have many characters to choose from that were going to reflect that's, exactly who that's you definitely are as an true. individual. And I think that that's what's going to be really appealing about Rogue One is how people will be able to lock on to a specific individual and perhaps hope uh, that, that it sticks, yeah. right? You know, you'll be able to feel a specific way about Jin at the beginning of the movie and you might feel a little bit different uh, about her towards the end. You know, the people that I really enjoyed is the pair uh, of Baze Malbus and Chirut Emway. I love those guys' relationship. Mm -hmm. I thought that their friendship, the way that they understood each other, what they meant to each other, is very well expressed throughout the movie. And that, I don't know if it's because I, I'm a guy that's getting older now and, and, and seeing that these guys were a little bit older than the, 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 the other heroes, you know, uh, seeing death the way they saw death was something that I was like... I can get on board with this, yeah. you know, to have that faith, to take a leap of faith and all that. So I think that Rogue One does a great job at, at, at really giving a nuance to what we looked at before as the Empire bad, the Rebellion good. They reshuffle the cards a little bit here in Rogue One and it gives you kind of a level playing field. And then after that, it kind of gives a little bit more light as to how things are shaped in the original trilogy, moving forward from this movie, it really gives you an in-depth look at how the Rebellion came to become the Rebel Alliance, as opposed to just these many factions of people trying to work together and not necessarily getting anything done. Sure. So to me, Rogue One is very important. And like I said, I've seen it three times now. I might actually go back to see it again. Uh, maybe that's just too much money, but I, <laughs> I feel... Sad that I don't have it here with me because this is a movie that I I'm going to love sinking my teeth into uh, to build on what I'm going to propose here today with the theories that I have. So that would be my initial thoughts on Rogue One. Great. Fantastic picture, in my opinion. And I think um, what you're kind of saying about what Garth Edwards uh, achieves here and sort of the balance, 
I think it could also be applied to where how he actually manages to get a film that does give us a lot of answers we didn't necessarily need, but also manages to to exist perfectly on its own as a separate entity in the universe and as as an informative entry in the previous films. I think that that's one of the things I I really admired about this. Look, a, a writing exercise you can do as a screenwriter, you can take existing universes and try to write stories around them. That's one of the things you're taught as a screenwriter, even as a kid in school, you know, you're always taught, take this existing property and write a character who exists around the events of the story and stuff like that. It's 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 to right. teach you how to basically balance, you know, how arcs are handled and how events, you, you know, how you can see past events to little bits and pieces in the background and how you can work uh, other characters and the narrative into that. What I really loved about Rogue One is that it's like a proto great example of how to write around such a rich, such a uh, deeply vibrant existing universe and give something to that universe that, I mean, this is, and again, this is something that is probably not going to be mean much to people who aren't Star Wars fans, I guess. But let's let's take for this case an example that you are, uh, for this part. How it plays into the lore of Star Wars is just incredibly well handled. I mean, you could say that you didn't need to enjoy Star Wars, the uh, A New Hope. You didn't need to know that kyber crystals, uh, you know, powered the Death Star or lightsabers. You know, you, you didn't know, need to know that there were power struggles within both the Rebel Alliance and the Imperial par- the Imperial forces. And uh, you didn't know, need to know that there was like a war before this war, like little like individual events and, and battlefronts as such. But the way that that helps liven up the material that comes after it and, and in a sense before it, it really, it doesn't affect how you can see those original films. And that's impressive because the prequels actually did try to make you affect... Uh, they, what they did was they tried to make you reanalyze what you'd already seen in Star Wars from this angle that uh, you know that you were being forced to reconsider. And a lot of it wasn't very effective. When we got the midichlorians thing, like, that actually... That's, that was an attempt to take away magic from Star Wars, you know, or it's not even just magic as in like that, you know, that old idea of magic, but I mean like mystery, you know, intrigue, concepts that are bigger than what they appear. They were trying to give it this, it's something in your blood, like it's something that you, like as if that makes it any less intangible. You know, uh, and they tried to tie in this idea that this this virgin son whose prophecy they, they, they took all these, like, the wrong examples of how to expand the universe, and instead they tried to dogmatically make that universe seem like it is a part of an already written story, which mm-hmm. I don't think benefits this story of this, the, the long-arching universe and story of this world at all, That because this is only a small part of it. Why would a prophecy in a world, in a universe, that is totally built up of all these different planets and moving parts... Why would we try to say there's only one part that really matters? There's one part that's more interesting, maybe. But why would we say that right. prophecy is the way to, you know... That, this, that the, the, the story's already written, and there's nothing that anybody in that story can do to change that, you know? Predestination. What is? How does that add anything? You know, that, that, that makes everybody an agent to some force that they, they can't control. And the, I thought yeah. the point of the force was that, that you know it's something that exists beyond yourself that you could tap into, and 
Isn't that that more interesting? Wasn't that interesting? It's beyond rational thought. Yeah. Tried to rationalize. Exactly, exactly. And that misses the point entirely. But what Garfield Edwards does here, he gives us stuff that's more tangible. He doesn't really, he touches on ideas like the force. These people who are force sensitive, getting more examples of the, the varying scale with which characters can interact with this entity, that's great. You know, we get that through Chirrut and, yeah. and, and seeing like if you dedicate, like, it's very easy to assume that he attempting to connect with the force is what caused his blindness. You know, that sheer fast dedication. I, I mean, th- that's, oh, that's, yeah. He doesn't need to that's see exactly, because he already sees more than the average. Exactly, you know, and I mean, that's a great concept. It's one that ties into a lot of how people, you know, religions of those kind of monkish attitudes. That yeah. That's very grounded in reality. We can totally Absolutely. understand that. Um, and I think it's great that we got to see something like that in Star Wars, you know, on the screen. You know, it's just one element. We know nothing about that order in the cinematic world anyway uh, that he's supposed to be a part of. But that it just teases the idea. That's that's great. That's something that I like. We can you can really sink your teeth into and really imagine more from. You know, that's that's amazing. And what I loved about how it affects the exhaust port in the Death Star. Right, this is a thing that people are saying they're they're very critical about this. That we didn't need to know that. Yes, you didn't need to know that. That the first Star Wars isn't affected by you knowing that because the first Star Wars can work perfectly well as its own story it's this it's this pulp fiction adventure you know and the the exhaust port is just supposed to be representative of something that only luke skywalker when he connects with the force and his own ambition can reach that others can't it's 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 just imagery you know it's not it's not supposed to mean the thing about how this works so well why this addition this explanation helps us is because Star Wars is more than just that one film. It's a it's yeah. a it's a universe that is grounded by rules, and every film adds more rules. And it's hard to connect the first Star Wars to all these other films because it's the one that has the least rules. It, you know, it, it plays by its own rules that it makes up as it goes along, really. And then the rest of the fiction has been based around it ever since. But right. what we can do, and what Garth Edwards does perfectly here, is integrated into logic without affecting the source material. So yes, now the exhaust port is a specific fault built in by its creator that he does in a power play to undermine the Empire that has stolen his life. That's incredible. That's such a great story. Galen's story in this, there's so much there that maybe I wish we could have seen a lot more of, and I know you know the book goes into it, but... uh, even still, I mean, like, I oh god, I, I was so on board with that character and that and his little struggles against this bigger system, and that the fact that you could take that detail or leave it, and the universe still functions. You know, if you just want to watch, yeah, if you want to watch Star Wars from Star Wars, you want to skip Rogue One. Uh, you don't need the details in it, but that's right. it's for people who want to entrench themselves in the universe with all these extra options. I think. Right. And a lot of things that are going around is this is good for Star Wars fans. Definitely. This is great for Star Wars fans. Uh, you, you've got whole new ways of seeing and connecting these little threads that exist throughout this varied branching story. It's great mm-hmm. to have more material like that to make it seem all that more real that you can take each entity as its own thing and see it for what it is, uh, watch it as its own film, uh, or you could see it as part of this collection, this this giant anthology of other stories, 
And Rogue One's just another right. part of that. It's just a tidbit of information here and there that helps you feel like this world is more alive. And what I think that does for not only the universe, but for the imagination of those looking at the bits of that universe and imagining themselves right. or the next part of that, I, I, I think that just is perfectly in line with the vision of Star Wars as this huge arcing you know aspirational project that we we don't really we still don't really understand you know or that we really we're always guessing at it you know we're always involved in what the next mystery the next revelation is rogue one is just a, a couple of smaller revelations that make it all feel more cohesive as a whole and for that, I, I can't get over how well executed that was. And I think to try to take away how that doesn't and does affect this story all at the same time is being really kind of ignorant of, of the achievement of the, the creatives who actually worked on it. Because this was no easy yeah. task. No. And it, I think it's great that you're pointing out how it has an effect on the, the, the trilogy after, you know, moving forward. Because it taps into directly what I want to talk about. Mm. In terms of, of, of the one of the like the big theme that I got out of Star Wars, and I want to bring up the Death Star a little bit after because like when you were talking about Galen Erso, as as, as actually planting that weakness in the Death Star as revenge, yeah. you know, for him, for them taking away his life, it it does shed light on the Death Star in a different way, and I'll, I'll explain it once I've really established what I want to talk about in terms of the main theme, and I'll tie it into what you were talking about with the Death Star. Cool. So the theory that I came up with, okay, is that when I noticed that everyone, all they were talking about was hope. I mean, it's it's kind of annoying to 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 see like just how surface level that that theme is. That you know, even the original trilogy was all on hope. But that's all anybody ever talked about. And even the last line of the film with Leia, who shows up, you know, and she says hope, and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. We get it. That makes sense, you know. I feel a lot of people, if they're going into this film, they watched a trailer. The trailers yeah. used hope as a buzzword quite often. And uh, it is prevalent in the film. But I think people, they get a lot of expectations from these trailers. They're catching on to right. buzzwords and they're interpreting them as themes. Yes, I, I get where people are coming from. The rebellions are built on hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's... Terrible yeah, line, but which it's is a, one which that's... Is a great line. I don't I agree. Think it's a great line. I don't. Oh, wow, that's don't okay. Agree. We can disagree on that. I think it's a great line, and I think that it's used at two significant moments in time during the film to show just how much one doesn't believe it and one believes it. Cassian Andor does not believe the line when he says it. Bellions sure. are built on hope. He's kind of giving a jab, you know. You can see throughout how he is as an individual, he no longer believes in what he's saying. He's actually questioning mm. what he's doing. We've seen him shoot a guy in the back... Where the fuck is the hope in that? You know what I mean? But when Jin says it, she's finally made a change. And it becomes something that's true. That it is built on hope. I don't, it reflects I, in the end. I don't agree with that. Uh, but I'll, I'll get to that later. <laughs> but that's it. To me, it was just it was a surface theme. To me. Yeah, it was a surface yeah. theme. Because to me, there are two bigger themes in Rogue One. And the first is trust. And I don't really want to get into that one that much. I might talk about it a little bit later. But to me, the main theme of Rogue One is reprogramming, okay? Right. So re reprogramming is what I want to focus on. Now, I came up with this when K2SO, the droid, introduces himself to Jin, and he explains that he was once an Imperial droid that's been reprogrammed. And so, well, reprogrammed to serve the Rebellion, but I think to me he's 
been kind of reprogrammed to serve Cassian. He's like a, sure. like yeah. a, a buddy of Cassian's. Mm-hmm. Now, what's important to understand about K2SO, in my opinion, is that compared to the person he's paired with, Cassian, K2 is the one that has the most humanity between them at this point. Yeah. You know, K2 cracks jokes and he cares for Cassian. He worries, you know, and he says, you know, with the gun, you know, he says, you know what the odds are of her shooting you? You know, or killing <laughs> yeah. both of us? You know, he's mm-hmm. a guy that actually worries. And if we take K2SO, I think K2SO is the most important character in the film because he's the cipher that unlocks exactly what Rogue One is trying to talk about. And then, like what I'm saying, the main theme is being reprogramming. The film itself, okay, the acts are separated into three distinct reprogrammings. Act one is Jin's reprogramming. Act two is Cassian's reprogramming. And act three is the Rebellion's programming. Mm. Now, I'll, I'll start with act one and then I'll move my way. I might talk for a while, but just indulge me for this. And then after that, I'll, I'll let you talk. <laughs> okay. So act one finds Jin. Uh, buried in her pastness, okay? The pastness of her own life. And she's had to struggle to survive because her parents, Lyra and Galen, aren't there for her and her adoptive father, Saw Gerrera, is busy fighting whatever the hell it is and he's losing his mind as a result. And because of her abandonment, you know, she and her outlook on life become a prisoner of her past. We talked about this on The Master a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Post-traumatic stress. I'm not going to bring post-traumatic stress into this because Jin is clearly dealing with her past issues. But I did pick up on the fact that they show this literally and figuratively in the movie by having Jin in a prison at the beginning of the film and when she meets Saw and says that she wouldn't mind imperial control because all that she would have to do to distract herself uh, from that political state is to look down, right? So she's a prisoner physically at the beginning of the movie, but she's also a prisoner of her outlook on life. She doesn't want to change. All she feels is the abandonment that she's had with her, her, her parents. Now, Jin fights to survive only for herself, and she doesn't have a cause, you know? That's why Guerrero calls her out really flat out during, during the movie. He's like, wait, you don't believe in anything? And he's like, ah, whatever. Now, Act 1 ends with the destruction of Jeddah City and with Guerrero's death. But those two little instances also signal the birth of Jin as part of the Rebels. That little uh, instance where you're seeing uh, her see the hologram of her father, Galen, changes her perspective on who he is. She figured that he was just an Imperial officer, the guy that had gone off to help the Empire, but the program, in the program, like the, the not the program, sorry, in the, the hologram, he says, and even at the beginning of the movie, he says, everything I do, I do it to protect you. And he reiterates that same thing went during the hologram. And this, by shifting her perception of her father, it also shifts the perception of who she was as an individual. Hmm. Now, at this point in time, she sees herself as the extension of her father, also the extension of Saul, you know, by proxy, just by the fact that he's there, too, because he's watching the mission. But these are both men that believe in a cause, and they're looking at it from very different angles. She sees how both men have sacrificed to keep her safe, but especially her father, Galen, who's reprogrammed himself to lie in order to conceal the flaw in the Death Star, the thing that you're talking about. In the opening of the film, you know, you have Krennic say to Galen that he has a brilliant mind, but he's a terrible liar. That's not a throwaway line. That's a very key line because it comes up in that hologram. He said, I learned to lie. This is what Galen says to his daughter. And because he's had to reprogram himself, he's done it to save the galaxy. But more importantly, he's done it to save Jin. 
right? And right. now she understands that. So the sequence with Jin and the hologram to me is beautiful cinema and very key in understanding what Jin has been through. You know, so act one is Jin's reprogramming. She switches from who she was to who she becomes. She actually starts believing in the cause. Seeing her father's hologram message is the reprogramming she needed. So it's to stop looking down and start looking up. She sees yeah, the empirical sure. flag and she says, I have to do something about this. She needs to see her father again to make amends, to thank him perhaps. But it's also to say that she will finish what he started, which ties us into Force Awakens just a little bit. Now, act one to me is the reprogramming of, programming of Jin. It's our main, main thing. Okay, so sure. that whole arc comes where we have Jin as a person who's suffering from abandonment issues to a person that actually believes in the cause and goes ahead to do something about it. Now, Act 2, as I said before, is about Cassian's reprogramming. There's one line that I want to point out is that Chirrut, as a Force-sensitive character, he says to Baze, does he look like a killer? When he's about to let, leave the ship, yeah, uh, when, uh, the U-Wing, yeah. he says, does he look like a killer? And he says, no, he's got a friendly face. And then I think, as, I don't know if it's Bodhi or Jin who asks him, it's like, what What do you mean? And he says, well, the force glows dark around individuals that are about to kill. Keep that line. And when Cassian is sent to Itu to kill Galen, he's ready to do it. He knows that's his mission because the guy on Yavin 4 told him, I don't remember the captain's name. He says, you're going over there? We're not, this is not an extraction. You have killing to do. But since the beginning, we understand that Cassian's a little bit iffy on what... Well, we don't get much, sorry, on his backstory. He's a little bit iffy. We see him shoot in the back. He's a guy that has no mercy. But you could kind of detect that he's a little bit lost in what his role in the rebellion is. Mm -hmm. He doesn't question much, but he's more of a robot, a droid like we were talking about. He's the one that has less humanity between him and K2. And so if we look at it, Cassian at this point is battle-weary, not knowing how much he's killed, or why he's doing it. Sure. He goes out with Bodhi. He wants to, the people to leave him the fuck alone so he can just get his job done. Now, we see him have a change of mind where he decides to not shoot Galen, right? But it's after Jin has expressed, like, we have to do this. It's called the Death Star. My father planted a weakness in it. We have to do it. And then we, we establish that they have trust issues between them, which is the other theme that I was talking about. Now... The change of mind that he has, to me anyway, is that Cassian now understands at this point that he'd be destroying two things. Jin's trust, who he probably fancies a little bit. We get a little bit of a romantic tie, uh, in my opinion. And the chance to reconcile with her father, something that Cassian most probably never had the chance to do. Because as he's said, he's been fighting in that rebellion since the age of six he says, sure. you're not the only one who's lost people. And so that to me, if you've been involved in that type of war or violence since the age of six, there's no way you're not lost. You, there's mm. no way you haven't lost a little bit of that humanity. You don't ask questions anymore. You just go sure. ahead and, yeah. and do it because you're programmed to do that. And so his refusal to kill Galen shows that Cassian understands that the rebellion has to be more than killing just one person. It has to be about making a real change, finding who's really guilty and not punishing those that are caught in the crossfire. He doesn't know what Galen's done. He's just been told to kill him. He needs to understand that from that moment on. So act two really acts as Cassian's reprogramming because after that, he and Jin really start working together. 
a little bit more. He actually cares about Jin. He's she's on that platform. And when the rebels blow up the platform on Edu, that's when he gets his his shock. He's like, "Oh god, this is wrong." You know, they 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 didn't wait for my command. They didn't wait for me to do things. They took matters into their own hands. They didn't mm-hmm. ask the questions that were necessary. So that to me encapsulates act 2. That would be Cassian's reprogramming. Now, act 3 is about reprogramming the rebellion as a whole. It's going from the rebellion being these factions to the rebel alliance, making them work together for a common cause. If you look at that table meeting around the the you know when they're they're arguing Mon Mothma's there, you'll have Dodana that's there, you'll have another guy that was in Sherlock, I don't know his name, <laughs> and you'll have Jin around the table as well. The rebels are talking about surrendering. Yeah. You know, they're giving up because they're afraid. They're like, oh my God, this Death Star thing is huge. There's no way we stand a chance. This to me says to me that they don't even believe in their own capacity to make a difference. Mm -hmm. They don't trust themselves with the capacity to win against a force as strong as the Empire has now. Now, this is what's weird is because they've been satisfied with taking down insurgents, you know, small Imperial groups. But because the Rogue One group decides to leave... They realize that the time has come to make a real change. They must reprogram the way they see what their rebellion means. Do they want to simply be seen as a group of radicals? Or do they want to become the last beacon to stand up to tyranny? Which I think is right. cool because Admiral Radis, Admiral Radis, the Mon Calamari, decides that he wants to fight, he just leaves. You know, I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> Reminded me yeah. of Admiral Akbar, and he's like, fuck this, I'm leaving, I'm going, I'm taking my ships, you guys yeah, can stay here definitely. if you want, I'm going to fight. And I, I love Mon Mothma's smile, you know, she sees that and she decides that if Rogue One believes, and Admiral Radis believes, then the whole whole rebellion has to try, mm-hmm. you know? So, and she loves it. I mean, she wanted to go in the first place. When you're seeing her around the table, she's just kind of disappointed that you'll have these bureaucratic fucks trying to make decisions, but they, they're clearly not dressed to fight. They're not fighting. They're just discussing things in a committee the same way that uh, that Han Solo points out to Leia in Empire Strikes Back. Right. And to me, in this case, it's the first shift where she actually understands that she's sending people in as a defense rather than sending them in as an attack. Cassian sending him to to kill uh, Galen is an attack. It's not a defense. They don't know what Galen has done. And so that's where the, the programming is. They have proof that the Death Star exists. They have proof that it's been used. They've been attacked. And therefore, they have to stand up to the Empire. And that's the defining moment, in my opinion. This is where they see the bigger picture. This is where they become one as opposed to the divided group that they were before the Rogue One group. This is where they become the Rebel Alliance. And so sending the signal at the end of the film isn't just the Death Star plans. It becomes something bigger. It's also sending the signal to everyone in the Rebellion that they too can succeed against this giant, you know, adversity if you will sure it'll cost lives it'll be a sacrifice but it's worth it in the end yeah Mm -hmm. so that's my big theory on what rogue one is like i said it's about reprogramming reassessing information and that's why i think it plays heavily in what you were talking about in terms of the death star because we can look at galen planting a weakness in the death star as a weakness in the machine itself but i when I tried to look at what he was actually saying, the weakness that he put in the Death Star is what's been taken away from him 
which was mm. his daughter, right? That emptiness that he has, that hollow little, you know, port where Jin, had Jin been there, he wouldn't have had to do any of this. He might have actually died or killed himself as a result, but he was taken away in order to protect his daughter, right? And so to him, it's no longer a weakness. It's a show of strength. Right, yeah. Definitely. And if we transpose that on the entire trilogy as a whole, it also is the strength invader at the end of Return of the Jedi. The one thing that causes him to turn to the light side of the Force is Luke. And Luke was the missing thing in the end. Right, so yeah. you have the Death Star acting as a metaphor for something so much bigger than it is as a result of a film like Rogue One, in my opinion. Definitely, definitely. So I'll let you go with that. And that's that's what I had to say about what I think the main theme of Rogue One is. Yeah, I, I really like that. I like how it does tie into what I was kind of saying about um, it helps us reanalyze what we've already seen before, sort of taking the bits and making a more cohesive whole. That does comment well on what this as a film does for the series. And I like how you kind of brought in the um, the paths that our parents build for us. It's it's right. such a recurring theme in Star Wars, and it's great that it it still gets attention. You know, it's such a such a it's oh I mean even the terrible films had parenthood as as a as a forced path to walk down. You know, yeah, yeah. Understanding the surrogacy of of Qui Gon, the missing nature of Anakin's father. You know the yeah. And uh, that sort of attempted adoptive father that you find in, in Obi-Wan Kenobi for Anakin and how all these things c- can't fix him. They, they don't attend to what he needs or they're too mixed up in too many other elements to be fathers to him. Yeah, uh, That they ultimately can't, they can't see when he really slips away because they've got their heads in the Jedi Order and so on like that. And then how that plays into Luke's interpretation of his father and his uncle and so on. And then how that plays into Kylo Ren, as you say. Uh, his interpretation of, of Han Solo and, and his reanalyzation of, of Vader. I mean, I mean right. it's in Vader's name. He's father. <laughs> like, it's a, Absolutely. I think that's why people are so interested in finding out what happens to Rey's parents. It's because it often maps the starting point for where these characters' arcs uh, are are laid, you know? So, obviously, we've now grown to a point where we're giving them additional attention, even if it doesn't really matter uh, on, on a surface value, like, oh, what are their parents? Who, who the fuck gives a shit? Yeah, probably, but, uh... <laughs> You know, they don't just give you that. They don't tease that information for nothing. Um, Right. I like what it says as well, that K2SO is this sort of tie that binds the the story together. I I, I agree with that, Uh, absolutely. I think he's he's sort of this uh, center point for every expectation people have for a Star Wars film. And also the subversion of that. Uh, that, you know, that ultimately he is still, he's the Imperial droid. He is this murderous machine turned good, you, go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, I like how it plays with that idea. I like, I like how it's messing with you. You know, the film's kind of joking with itself. And I, 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 I agree that it does that well. So yeah, I, definitely. I think that's a fun thing. And I'm, there's definitely plenty to look into there. I would say... Yeah. It, it ties into a problem I had, though, and I, I mean, like, I actually, I don't mind the, the sub-characters as such, the, 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 the rebel gang, I'm on board with them, I, I like them, I, I never really cared about Cassian, but what, the way you put him, 
I, I, you, you made a really clear point. He has one of the most defined arcs in the entire film. What you said about him coming from this, you know, obviously a harsh war background, uh, and and the way he sort of built himself up to be uh, this uncaring, unthinking, logical soldier who then starts to question things after he meets Jen. I think that's it's it's a perfect it's a perfect arc for that character. I think that's right. fine, and I think the other side characters. I, I genuinely like I like Booty Rook. I uh I think he I think he was a pretty interesting I like I don't think maybe he's the most fleshed out, but I, I liked what they were trying to comment on there. What happens to the traitors? Who can trust them? You know, and, and that element that he, if he betrays the Imperials, what good is he to anybody? You know, and and, and, and in a war it comments a lot on how real wars happen. You know, a prisoner of war is a prisoner of war, and a defector is a defector. It's a, it's a tainted, it's a tainted category. This guy, he carries with him a lot of baggage, a lot of, of will to repent against what he saw was bad, and ultimately he's mistreated horribly for it. Perseverance to stand against this, this tarring thing that he has in his mind created. I, I thought right. it was fascinating, and seeing him try to do whatever he could to help these people, I think that's perfect supporting character material i don't think he needed a full arc it just felt like this is where he should be you know so i was i was always on board for that character being in 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 the film and his attempts to help everybody i thought was more than justified sure and and Baze, i i did like their relationship i i we're not given a lot of reason why they should be here I, you're saying that apparently that there's a there's an order that they're a part of established in yeah. the canon somewhere and this makes and them being on this battlefront makes more sense than anything, especially since this should have been the in in this film what is essentially their home is destroyed. Yeah, that's something that isn't explored in this film. I I think it's hinted at, but I I don't I think you that's that's prior knowledge required um to really enjoy that arc. I think most people will uh just see two guys who just tag along and they're fun. They're the they're very like um. I don't know, Magnificent Seven kind of characters, or... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven, you know, there's... Yeah. there's they're kind of there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They're, they're very, like... They round out the cast a little. Uh, and they're and they're the ones that kids of certain types are going to are gonna go, oh, that's my favorite. I like the guy with the big gun. Or that's my favorite. The blind monk who was in f- touch with the Force. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they flesh out the world more than they do the story. And that's fine. I, again, I saw where they serviced. My real problem is with Jin. I, what you're saying about her arc, I totally get. I think that's the absolute intention that Jin goes on to join the rebellion because she is completing her father's work. I, I think that's the only way that we could have interpreted her character getting from the A to Z that is this story. What it lacks is a, a thorough reading of her motivation because... Ultimately, it, it's misguided a little, I thought. What, and I'll point out the reason why I think that. While we are given a good reason why she joins the fight as such when it comes to locating Saw Gerrera, I think she's, you know, she's being used, but she cares about the guy. She has her own interests in that matter. And I think there is definitely, at that point, there's a, there's a, a change in her after she sees the message of her father. And that's to find her father, you know, and and, and you know, rehabilitate a little bit of her life after that. That makes sense to me. She's clearly somebody who's motivated by, you know, relationship at this point, you know. Some, and she's motivated by understanding herself through the people that she doesn't understand the most. Uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, and I think that driving her straight to her father, Galen Erso, and his sort of overlooking uh, airport scene in, in the rocks... 
Uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's perfectly fine. I think that's exactly where that character should have went next. I think there's an immediate drive to be there. It's it's the gap between the next logical points that I don't understand. Meeting her father, from understanding his plans, and from, I essentially, we can gather that the next point which should be her taking this to the Imperials, you know, and saying, look what you've done to my father, you know, and and look what you've forced him to do. And look how I'm going to take that down. Yeah, I, I perfect. Absolutely, this is where her character needed to go. How she gets there? The Rebel Alliance kill her father. They never justify why she then goes to the Rebel Alliance. To me, it seemed like she should then become her own agent. It feels like she could have done... I mean, even if she needed to use them or collaborate with them to get the job done. I, I understand that. I feel that maybe a little coercion in the plot, or at least a few changes in decisions, like not having the Rebel Alliance kill her father, might have really pushed us to understand exactly why she sees the Rebels as the most viable option. But if these are the people who kill the one person who means the most to her, and the one per and if we were to take that she feels strongly enough to dedicate her life and die f to finish the work of her father, then we need to at least assess the idea that she shouldn't have went to the she should have been emotionally frail enough to go, I don't think these guys are trustworthy. I need to do this myself. And yes, to an extent, she kind of does. She does form her own rebel alliance, I guess. But after, she pleads to them to join her in battle. What was that scene had no place being there for her character motivation. That her going to the people who just one scene prior murdered her father is bizarre and to me it's a it's a huge hole in her motivation i understand what you mean i think however i'm going to defend it by saying why would she become exactly what they are which is directionless she has direction right now and i think she's taken it upon herself to provide direction to other people she has cause now and I think she becomes an example. She can't go to the Imperials. They're the ones that have the Death Star and her father wants it destroyed. The only other place that she needs to go is the Rebels. But this is where they show the extremes, right? Jin happens to be in the middle. Which side does she want to be on? The one that actually killed her father. Yes, the Rebels did it they, they, by, by, by attacking Edu, that, that little spaceport that was there. But, you know, I think she sees beyond that you know they mistook him for an imperial they didn't have all the knowledge and all that stuff i understand that it could be very we don't have that scene where she she breaks down but she does say those yeah she acknowledges she acknowledges that the rep she knows yeah. the rebels killed her father and so what she her beef however is with cassian at that point because what information did he give you know so i really understand that you know but don't forget that, that this that's, guy that's has been screen, out of her life for to me that's the screenwriting but, deflecting on something that uh, it means more to cassian's place in the story than it does to jins it questions what cassian was doing at that point and cassian defends himself and he defends himself well it's a good argument and he wins rightfully so uh, i don't think he defends himself well at all i think that he feels a lot of shame in, in he feels sequence. ashamed he that he was given the order, but he should, he doesn't feel shame in, in the fact that he doesn't A, owe her an apology for not killing her father. He doesn't feel shame because he is actually right. He didn't do the wrong thing. And the, and the fact that Jin backs down after that point is because she realizes he she doesn't she can't get that answer from him that she's looking for. And he doesn't right, okay, owe her okay. that, nor Makes does sense. he feel it you know he doesn't feel he has to justify what he already doesn't understand you know why did he not pull right. the trigger okay. himself yeah. he doesn't exactly. have to answer to her he's kind of in his own crisis and that debate with Jin is him defending at least in, in a sort of emotional backhand 
the fact that this is about him right now, it's not about her. And even still, what he did had nothing, no impact on her whatsoever. So back off. Right. And that's that makes sense to me. Yeah, perfectly right. You're absolutely right. Jin here then, she is directionless. She, the first person she accuses is the person who didn't do it, you know? And from there, we move steadily to a scene where she starts asking the people who commit... There's no, there's no catharsis, there's no change framed here. There's just... She goes straight to that scene. And her, as far as we are aware, the motivation for why she's there is the same that she was carrying in the previous scene, which is none. You know, that's what I mean. It's... it's it's this, it's a big gap that it makes sense why her character should be in all these places, but the way it's told is wrong. And it's weird because it's not, it doesn't affect the other characters uh, and their position in the story. They're all right where they should be. And Jin gathering a, 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 a rebelling rebel force and leading what will soon be the rebel alliance, as you've put it, and the, in that joining and that sacrifice she does. That makes sense for her character and where she should be, but why... Th th the easiest solution would be not have the rebels kill her father, and the harder solution would be having her come to terms with the rebel killing her father, but at least acknowledging that she has a bigger ulterior motive to using them, you know? Right. Uh, but we don't get either. So if you're talking about a missing link in character motivation, to me... Her motivation had nothing to do with the rebellion. It had to complete what her father had to do. It just so happens that if this is the lesser of two evils, right? And I feel that as her character progressed, even at the end of Act 1, as I was talking about, her reprogramming had been done. And even at the end of Act 2, she notices that Cassian's a person she can trust. She doesn't necessarily have to trust the rebellion. She has to trust the guy that's with the rebellion. And if she I can agree, get yeah. him, then that's fine. She's trying to convince the others. And was the speech a little kitsch? Yeah, it's one yeah, of the places are. where I was like, I took a bit of points off because I was like, meh, you know, and I think like I was saying, uh, as I had said before, I mean, to me, like with Giacchino's score, it really took a little a little bit of the piss out of the speech. But I mean, to me, there wasn't a missing link. Yeah, I get that. I, I, and to be fair, it's a perfectly good way to view the film, but I, I have to view the film as the intention of the creators, which is both to balance a, a like, a, a, not, I'm not even going to say a character story. Because it's, it's mm -hmm. one of the things that takes a, a backseat in the narrative. So I agree with you there. It's not entirely important for every bit to, to, to line up. But what is, I feel, important in this is that this connects what is more important to the film, which is its bigger reach, you know, its, it's uh, the, the bigger picture uh, interpretations that it's definitely going for, you know, and the, and, the, and the larger arcs overall that end up to play... Uh, something of a smaller role in a bigger universe. I think that's right. great, and I think it speaks a lot about where the series is at, at this point. But I feel this is one of those things that ties both into just, not just character motivation, but it also touches upon how we connect with her arc and where she, where she makes the connection to jump into the role that is her position in the story, not just her position as a character on a battlefield in a Star Wars film. And yeah. to me, that's important. I, I like to try, I want to try and balance as much of the in, in intentions of the film as possible. And, sure. and I think that this is one intention that, yes, maybe they thought there was uh, an easy, you know, maybe it was, it doesn't rank high for them in, in because it's more about the rebellion and so on. Fair enough. I understand that. That makes sense. I mean, Jen Erso is it's just a, it's an even smaller a smaller piece in a, in a small battle that plays a bigger piece. I get that. 
Exactly, but absolutely. To me, Star Wars is about bridging all these things together, you know, and 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 the fact that we can rewatch these films over and over and over again and get a different thing from them comes from the fact, you know, comes from the fact that each part in itself is a whole construction. And that's not just what's in the big picture, but when you come back and you look at the smaller parts that add to those big pictures, you can't leave gaps. I think it's important here, in my interpretation of where this fits in the Star Wars, for this to be patched. And and what the, the thing that just, it, it just frustrates me so much is that it could have just been avoided entirely. We didn't need the rebels to bomb. Really? Oh yeah, we didn't need the rebels to bomb him. Why couldn't, why couldn't uh, Krennic kill him? Why couldn't she just be too late to Krennic killing him? Because Krennic doesn't have the balls to kill anybody. He, he gives the order. But he could give the order to somebody else. The stormtroopers behind him. He gives, he just give that order to a bunch of, to kill a bunch of scientists. He clearly has the motivation to kill people, and he did so. Let me pause it one last thing and let you bounce off of this. Okay, you're talking about a point in time, okay? If we look at Han Solo at the end of Star Wars, yeah, what makes him come back? He's not there for the money. He's there for why? Because it's the cause, right? It's the right thing to do. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Can't we use that as justification for why Jin goes to the rebellion as well? I that's what, but that's what I mean. She's still going to do the right thing to do. She just doesn't have to go to the rebellion. Right. So what I'm saying is, if she, she, if, she knows she can't count on him. They don't go with her. Well, yeah, but she does. It, it, it just it kind of corrupts her character if she goes from if if she placidly goes through her father's death to using them without little substance scenes to say. At least she wants to use them, or at least she sees that this is the best way to get it done. If she takes that approach, if we had something like that, I, I, I would, I would agree this was the way to tell it. So I feel that it doesn't, it just doesn't connect perfectly, and there's so many other ways to do it that it just feels like it was there, and they just dropped it. And I think they shouldn't have. Okay. It, it takes that different tone. And I, I really like what you said about Cassian as well. Anyway, I think people are going to want to hear that as well. I think th that's such a great way of looking at that arc. And I think a lot of people are saying he's the most underdeveloped. And I certainly came out of the film initially going, why? What was his deal? You know, uh, but you're right. Well, I was seeing like he did have a point to be there. It was good to, to really think about his arc. And and consider why his scenes were where they were, you know? It, it makes perfect sense. I'll add something to that if you want, to just, to, sure. just to hammer it home just a little bit. Who, who's the first one of our rogues to die? Uh, it would be uh, K2SO. There you go. K2SO represents that humanity that Cassian doesn't have, right? Oh, And by yeah. the time K2 dies, okay, it's as a result of Cassian being able to fully function as a human, right? K2 acts as Cassian's guardian angel, in a sense, in my opinion. And if you want to go the Disney fairy princess route and all that <laughs> stuff. But K2's death, okay, is a sacrifice. Yes, we're supposed to see his sacrifice. He says goodbye, Cassian. But it's because he knows he's fulfilled his role. Yeah. As we'll call it, quote-unquote, father figure to Cassian, as a guardian angel. He's fulfilled that. He's passed on his humanity to Cassian. And he sees that with Jin. That's where it's going to complete the rest, right? And that's yeah. why he's the first one to go. We don't need him anymore. Okay? That's, that's perfect. Again, I think that's a great way. He's our guide. Uh -huh. You know, if He's been our guide throughout this. Now our rebels are a whole. There's a human aspect that's been coming, and we don't need the droid anymore. Right? Sure. So that yeah. would be why I think that it really... You know, really ties Cassian's arc together, in my opinion. He feels something. He's like, oh, K2. 
you know, but he understands that there's something more at stake, you know, there's the cause, right? And it's the same thing when Jin loses her father, it becomes the cause. Yeah, right? yeah. It's no longer I, about I, her, it's about something else. That's, to me, I, anyway, I, that's the way I read that. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. I, I even like how K2S, uh, uh, when he dies, that's when the tone shifts fully into that war, you oh, know, yeah. like, I mean, that's yeah, yeah. when... It becomes real. Yeah, that's when, that's no longer, not only are we, you know, in in the symbolism sense, you know, we've got uh, Cassian, who is now a fully, a fully grown adult in this case. He's now doing things out of a selfless own motivation he's found his reason to be a human being i think he's no longer the six-year-old yeah yeah exactly that's what i mean like that's that's perfect on the on that level but at the same time from that point onwards we start seeing the repercussions of of the sacrifice and you know basically the body the body uh the body count ramps up and up and up and up at that point until they're all gone (laughs) and uh I, i think that's great i think that that's great because that's like a, a like a warning flag to the audience. Hey, your favorite character, he's going, and you know, look what you've got left. <laughs> and uh, yeah. for some people, that's going to uh, appear like, oh, the one person I cared about, they've taken him out of the movie. But for another thing, for, from another angle, it's it's more about how the film is is ready to to find, you know, tell the the last bit of the story that it needs to tell. You know, it needs to. They're they're ready to let us deal with it as well. Yeah, exactly. And there you go. They've they've reprogrammed you. <laughs> well done, audience. You're all a part yeah. of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Let's move on to one last topic. Moving on to our last little part, I wanted to talk about how I really enjoyed how uh, Edwards invites the script writers, and I don't know what extent Tony Gilroy, uh, have been able to communicate the loss of humanity war inflicts on individuals either fighting the war or simply living through it. Yeah, I thought that sure. was really impressive. It's a theme that's excessively well-developed, and it weighs heavy on some of the key players in the film. And I'm talking about Galen Erso, Saw Gerrera, and how we actually see Darth Vader moving on from this point. Yeah. Uh, I won't talk about Galen a little bit uh, that much because I, I dealt with him just a little bit before. Um, because, I mean, when, when you look at it, it's his own morality, right? We talked about how he had to learn how to lie. So it, it really transformed him. And if he's in the extension of the Death Star, he's become somewhat mechanical or a robot, so to yeah. speak, if mm-hmm. you want. So he's lost a bit of his humanity. Is what Absolutely. I'm saying. And yeah. If we look at this idea of loss of humanity, who better than looking at Saw Gerrera on the side of the Rebellion, who's an extremist, and Darth Vader on the side of the Empire, who is also an extremist. Right. And I think that the inclusion of Saw Gerrera in the way that they did is brilliant because it really adds that new dimension to Vader. Because to me, they embody the exact same person, but, you know, on different sides of ideologies. Right. Um... They're both crippled by war, okay? If you look at the Clone Mm -hmm. Wars destroying Guerrero's morality, he's going to be in Rebels, I think, in Season 3. They're bringing him up, or Season 4. I don't remember exactly where they are. Um, um, uh, The fight against the Empire that Guerrero's had, you know, 
as, as his mind's gone. He's an extremist. He's even considered a terrorist by the rebels. <laughs> That's you right. know, they're, they're like, well, he's yeah. just, uh, we can't go down that route, you know? Exactly. Whereas the Empire embraces the radicalism of... of of Darth Vader, they're like, we have another weapon. The, the rebels are like, we, that's just, that's too much, you know? Sure, yeah. And so I think that it was really, how can I put it? It was really well shown that he's going to do anything to stop the Empire, no matter the cost, whether it's his own personal morality or whatever collateral damage there is, you know, yeah. outside mm-hmm. of that. Uh you know, I mean, in the movie, you know, that first shot you get of him, you know, it's a, he's mostly machine. And, and, and in the film, he uses a breathing apparatus that sounds exactly like, like Vader's. Darth Vader's, yeah. Right? And um, mm-hmm. to me, this brings back a lovely quote from Return of the Jedi, where Obi-Wan says to Luke about Vader, he's more machine now than man, twisted and evil. And you can see that in Guerrera as well. Yeah. That, you know, this is where that, that, that gray zone has been starting to establish in Rogue One. And I thought that was really fantastic. Darth yeah, Vader's yeah, on the other side, you know, and he embodies the Empire, the Empire's ideologies. He believes in the Empire's totalitarianism. He believes in his own cause. There's revenge involved in there, which to me, I think is really interesting because it brings up another quote that Obi-Wan says to Luke. And I quote, he says to Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Guerrera has a point of view. Vader has a point of view. And now, not only does this show how important Obi-Wan is, and that Disney should make a goddamn fucking film already. I want my my Obi-Wan movie. I agree. But it also highlights how how these characters represent the extremes that emerge as a result of war. That loss of humanity. And it plays heavily on Jin and Malbus, but it plays really really heavily on Cassian as well and so I thought that if we look at them you know it it really projects the rebellion in a new light because we're used to seeing the rebellion as these good guys yeah yeah but that wasn't really morally objective you know of us right because if we look at Vader and we look at Saw Gerrera we're like well I guess too much of one thing and too much of the other thing you know we have to have that nuance yeah sure everything we've seen so far about the rebellion uh, resisting the empire makes the the audience root for them and, and you know perhaps cheer them as the underdog you know I, I, I'm repeating something I said on the Incession film podcast so sorry about that but I think that Rogue One kind of deflates that point of view. It really says, you know, take it easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to me, it shows that our main characters, you know, Jin and Cassian, you know, no matter how much they're disillusioned, you know, and somewhat lost, really for Cassian especially, until Jin comes along, this is where the hope comes in. I think that Jin reignites that hope in Cassian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And something that he believed a long time ago in a galaxy far far away Uh. but but that's it to me it really gives us a really different perspective on vader where we're like yeah okay this guy is more machine now than man you know and it makes his arc so much clearer in my opinion because when you see him at the end of the movie no matter how glorious i think that scene is it's also one that's very tragic Mm. because if we're bridging the prequels with the original trilogy, with that movie, we're seeing Vader at the height of his corruption. Yeah. And mm-hmm. no matter, as an audience, we're like, wow, this is fucking awesome. When you see that lightsaber, it goes back to the quote I told you about Chirrut saying that the force grows dark around someone that's ready to kill. It is pitch fucking black <laughs> yeah. once that lightsaber lights. And I clicked right there. I was like, whoa, this is exactly why that line is in the movie. Because he is about to kill. And we get to see it. And no matter how 
much you want to cheer, no matter no matter how much you want to think that a Darth Vader movie is a good thing, the wrath that he shows in that sequence is goddamn scary to think that yeah. a human mm-hmm. being, a human being is behind that. I love that scene. Oh, it's and great. And I said, like, I, as I said on In Session, I don't know how many gifts are going to come out of that, and I'm, I'm going to use every one of them. <laughs> it's, just that, it's, it's insane to think that we can cheer that on. That wasn't meant yeah. to be. It, it's fan service. But it's also a, a, a warning of yeah. just how mm-hmm. far extremism can go. And it was brilliantly made. Yeah, it really is a starkest point. And I like the, the concept of the extremists. I mean, it, it ties into what Fader was described, you know, he's in, in the original films. You know, he's basically almost like a, a religious zealot nut, you know. And, and even within the Imperials, they distrust him, you know. They've, they've, the commanders and all, they kind of look at him like he's a, he's a bit of a freak, you know. That he's a bit of an extremist then. But we never actually see any parallels to can consider him an extremist as far as we're aware he's just he's just uh, the height of imperial you know it's he's just another rung in the ladder of how dark and sinister this route goes but now it also seems like he's just a part of uh, a bigger system that's more emblematic it's it's a disease that affects both sides and 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 it's great that Guerrero's there because this is it does it fleshes out the universe Again, that we establish in the original Star Wars. It has its own rules. It plays its own game. It works on its own narrative. But if we want to tie this into a bigger story, we need these reasons and rationale to understand where this story is going to go someday. You know, And it's great to see that not everything's as black and white as the original story was. Because the original story is exactly, made, yeah. made to be black and white. That's what's great about yeah. it. And that's what makes it stand alone uh, without all the other films. It's because it's just a great adventure of these big polar ideas and that be that. But if we're going to try and tell complex stories with them, we need to at least consider that there is more complexity in the world than good versus evil. And Rogue One does a good, uh, makes a good stab at um, de- establishing where, where that's going to start to take root in the series. And hopefully from here again, like all the Star Wars films, we got to consider where's it going to go? Hopefully it's going to go, they're going to take it further and further in certain directions. Uh, and establish more about the kind of the flaws of the rebellion, until the point where we underst- we can finally justify why they're why by the time we get the Force Awakens, their weakness uh, lets that that new order just establish itself, and they're still just in the same loop. You know, we need justification for why they never finished the job. You know, and it's probably going to be rooted right here at this moment where we see that the infighting and Saw Gerrera's extremists, they're all going to come back to the fore later on, these kind of people who are going to tear this rebellion. And just to show you that basically there's no political system that's going to have all the right answers. Uh, And I think that's That's important for Star Wars to sort of approach because for a lot of us, they've taught us this. (laughs) <laughs> and they they need to start disassembling and then and approaching reality in a little more rational a, a sense because they're good at that. Uh, let's, let's should we gush a little? Just fast fire gushing and uh, nitpicks. I think because uh, I want to gush. Sure, go ahead. Uh, space dogfights. I love dogfights. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? Oh, uh, the that third act is so good. It's amazing. I loved it. That's that's the action film that the, I understand why people felt like that was the only part of the film that mattered. If they're tying Star Wars into this more action genre film, oh, yeah. that's the part that they should, should have been way more of for most people. When they're trying to meet Star Wars fans halfway, I understand that disappointment. But to me, it didn't really matter because that payoff was so good <laughs> that uh, the oh, actual yeah. Star Wars was awesome. One of the highlights. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Did uh, did you pick up on the the Red Five? No. 
<laughs> well, at one point, Red Five is is uh, is in his X wing, you know, and he's getting fired at, and and he dies. Yeah, yeah. He gets exploded, but it, it goes. Luke is Red Five in in Star Wars, and so they oh, just so kind of have this dogfight sequence where he gets shot down, and they're like, "Oh, okay, so he th- that's his call sign. He's going to be Red Five as a result because Brilliant. this dude oh, died that during that battle." And I was like, "Oh, that is so cool. That's awesome." And that's using so the gold leader and red leader and all that, I was like, "That is so I love cool that. that they actually found that footage." Because I said I read yeah. that interview. Uh, on Little White Lies with Gareth Edwards who said that you know uh, he was walking through Lucasfilm and, and uh, there was a, a canister full of film and they were like what's that and they said oh that's a, that's a Star Wars it's a new hope they have it over there in a can and he says we haven't bothered to digitize it and he was like uh, oh, okay well do you mind if I sift through that and he says, no, go ahead, no problem. Edwards went and he found some footage that had never been used for Gold Leader and Red Leader. And he was like, can we oh, put wow. this in the film? And so they did their best. It's so cool. He hadn't planned it, but when he saw it, he was like, we can't not do this. That's awesome. And so that it was really, so cool. really cool. Yeah, awesome. Um, uh, I love the concept of the, the camera work and that we were handheld on the ground and steady in space. I, I thought that juxtaposition of where we were in the battles I've, it was great to watch. Yeah. Made, a, made a solid experience of the transition. Uh, I don't think it was always handled perfectly, mostly in the way some shots were framed. I, I, it didn't appeal to me a lot of what it was, what we were actually looking at, but I loved the concept. And really? it, it definitely made the, the battle... Yeah, yeah. Ah, you picky fan. <laughs> but that's, that comes back, because I'm picky enough to think that I love that we're still using footage of being in the spaceships, you know, seeing these, these guys actually fly these things. To me, that's yeah. huge. To me, that's that we're still doing that in every fucking film. Never stop. I, it's it's all a part of it. Uh, the whole fucking makes me, especially <laughs> in this film, it was the most important that we were with these, you know, these 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 rebels, right with them, and we saw Absolutely. the we saw them in the cockpit, and then we swapped around and we saw kind of over the shoulder yeah, exactly. where that ship was going, yeah. and uh, that's incredible. Uh, and I love that that's what we're using the technology of, of today to do, is to get closer and closer to that experience uh, and to see it from as many angles and see how fucking terrifying in perspective it would be to be in this scenario. It's, exactly. it's fucking horrifying. How anybody dreams to be a pilot in the Star Wars series is fucking crazy. It, it's, it's horrifying. It's a, it's a fucking slaughterhouse. <laughs> I mean, just look when the shield generator opens. Just look when, when, when that shield generator... And then the TIE fighters just come streaming out. You're like, we're getting a real fucking war in space right now. This is awesome. I couldn't believe how awesome that goddamn yeah. battle sequence was. And that, that, that uh, hammerhead corvette scene where they actually knock one of the Star Destroyers that's been disabled into another Star that, Destroyer oh, down into the shield generator. I was like, ah, Admiral Raddus is awesome. He comes up with that idea. I love Admiral Raddus. I want to have a fucking standalone movie with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Just have have him call up the corvette every time. Like, oh, go ahead. Pummel that <laughs> Bring thing. it in. Pummel that thing. <laughs> What's working, you know, he starts resting on his laurels he starts he starts he, he no longer strategizes he just brings in this big hammer he's so accomplished <laughs> i don't know i just love to see him and akbar on a cruise ship somewhere talking about their experience in the war like ah yeah <laughs> so exactly i also i, lo- I love the new, the new planets i love these locales ah, oh, star wars great, needs yeah. way more locales and the fucking beach planet uh desert but it's not desert it's like holy holy city planet a uh, crazy mm-hmm. grass mountainous planet and weird dark rock hangar place. These are all new. These are great. Yeah. This is this is what we we really needed more of after Force Awakens kind of took us back through what we already knew. Yeah. This is this is what I really wanted to to see was to go different places. That's what Star Wars to me. I love 
is that imagination to take us as an experience. And as, as you're getting that from the fact that I love all the ships and the action and stuff like that, it was great yeah. to be somewhere to do that, take that and put it somewhere else. Happy to just praise that and say that that that's good. That's uh, now I want to you know I want kids to talk about when they're you know when they imagine themselves in this world they grew up in Beach Planet. You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the Darth Vader sequence for a second. Although I did talk about it just a little bit before. Sure. How did you feel about that? I fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. How can you not love that? Uh, it, it, it felt like a different movie. It, it's it like, did. It, it, uh, it well, felt it like probably, a, it felt like sheer horror, part. and that's what I loved about it. It was intense. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see it again just to pick apart how he does it because there's so many things going on in that sequence. When he lifts that guy to the ceiling using the force after uh-huh. deflecting a few of the bullets, and then he just flips his lightsaber around and cuts him off the fucking ceiling. He falls. He lifts another guy to choke him. He stops a bullet with his hand. You know, this is kind of funny because if you look at Empire Strikes Back, that scene on Bespin where Han shoots his gun and then he just yeah, basically he blocks just the bullets and pulls away. the gun yeah. using a force. And then if you look at the Force Awakens with Kylo Ren freezing the 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 blaster, uh, you know, uh, bullet or whatever they call it, the blaster, laser or whatever in midair, Vader in this one freezes it and pushes it back at the guy. Yeah. So you're like, wow, this is this actually kind of goes to explain a little bit that Kylo Ren may not have all the power that Vader has because yeah, yeah, he's absolutely. actually freezing shit. Pushing it back at the guy. You're yeah, like, exactly. whoa, he's using the bullets against him. That was wonderful. Through the door? And he just pulls yeah, yeah, the lightsaber through the door. Just knocks it down like it's nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> Great. Oh, I loved uh. it. And it was the, it was perfectly in, in time. You know, I, I I didn't see it coming. And then I... I when it was over, my mind was reeling. I was just like, what did we just see? You know, it was like 20 seconds. <laughs> exactly. The first time I watched the movie, that's exactly how I felt. I was like... Did we just see that? Yeah. But then the second time, I really sat there and took it in. And last night, I paid attention. You, to you were ready for it. <laughs> yeah. And now I want, I want the fourth time when I see it the, for the fourth time. I, I'm hoping. I, I don't know. Once I get it here on Blu-ray, I'm gonna fucking freeze frame that motherfucker and put it in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, like, oh right. my god, look at that! Look, look at that thing! Look at that! Wow, Jesus! Just cut yeah. that guy again. I didn't even see that the first time. <laughs> Uh, so, we'll, so that was great. We'll go quickly. Nitpicks. You don't like the score? Um, you know what? I after hearing it for the third time, it didn't bother me much anymore. I think that like like explained when they're when they're having that council on on Yavin four, the score kind of stupid. However, I'll give Giacchino one thing. Krennic's march, I like. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. da, 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 da. I, I was like, okay, it makes cool because it's not as menacing as yeah. Vader's. Because he not is not as be. menacing. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that that was kind of cool, and I felt that he spent a lot of time creating that one. That yeah. was good. Um, but the rest, the rest he's it? kind of dancing around the main theme instead of coming up with his own stuff. He's like playing the invert notes. Uh, just to sort of, you know, he's basically going, yeah. he's going down when he's, when he's supposed to go up and we're kind of just sitting there like, yeah, all right, we get it. You, you're kind of doing it. Ooh. It didn't convey anything to me except that he was dancing around the theme. It, it didn't convey anything to do with the scenario of the film itself. It feels like it should have just sounded totally different from Star Wars, but, uh, it keeps all the same horns, all the same flutes and, and little f- force flicks. Yeah. You're right. And we don't need it. Right. It's not, it's not supposed either, to be here. Yeah. He should have either gone complete Star Wars or complete opposite of Star Wars. Exactly. I agree with you there. He's dancing somewhere in the middle that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, well, I was going to do some, say something disgusting, but I won't. But it's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I was weirded out by it. Oh, yeah, Darth Vader's sass line. 
<laughs> I loved it. I hate it. I hate it so much. I loved it. <laughs> to me, it was a callback this, to this, I find your lack of faith disturbing. To me, it is uh, the antithesis of how fucking cool it was when he said, Apology accepted, Commander. To me, that is like the badass fader line and what this one was was dancing around what that the line you just said, but also trying to be as uh, like, oh yeah, watch out, Finn is gonna get you. It's just cool, like he could snap your neck in a in a heartbeat. I get that. It didn't. It didn't. It's like it, to me, it felt like an Arnold Schwarzenegger pun. Get it? He's choking you. <laughs> you know what's great about? Uh, I find your lack of faith disturbing. It has nothing to do with choking. <laughs> <laughs> fair point. I'll give you that. That's a fair point. But I thought that to me it was just a question of like I don't know. To me, it sounded good. Like, don't choke on your aspirations. I, la- I, was like, I laughed. I actually laughed at the cinema. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, okay. That's that's uh, me. I'm done. I'm done. Rogue wanting. It's all right. But I, I mean, there's a lot of people that are like you. I mean, like, if I, if I call back to the guys at Collider, they all agree with you. They all agree with you. But if I go back to the guys at In Session, they all agree with me. That's the one point we oh, agreed well, on. That's good. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. There you go. That's what I mean. Like, pull you get you get a good mixed bag of polar opinions with Star Wars films. It's always just going to be the way. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. All right, so I think that rounds it about up for us. Yeah, man. What do you think? I could keep going, but I, that's the thing. I gotta stop now. I'm glad we didn't talk about the CGI because I don't care. Yeah, um, don't. People yeah. have been making a point of contention with that. You know what? To me, Peter Cushing was in the film, and I appreciate that. And uh, like I said, I got a lot out of reading Catalyst. So anyway, let's go to a final verdict. If you're gonna rate Rogue One. You said you gave it a B plus. Are you sticking to that after conversing with me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing about uh, some of the scores I've given this year is that uh, they mean more to me than the score I've given. You know, when I get into my right. top ten uh, over the next uh, month of of twenty sixteen, I you know a lot of the ones there they're going to be there's going to be like A minuses and stuff that are going to supersede ones that I've given A's because personal affection doesn't always play into my objective criticism of a film. Oh. I think Rogue One objectively is more flawed than how I actually enjoyed it, you know. I I, I think it was it's a it's a real fun film, one a film that I'm going to enjoy watching again, uh, a film that I'm going to enjoy kind of rethinking over and over again. Uh, maybe not nearly to the same extent as you obviously, but to an extent nonetheless. And um I still hold that my objective criticisms do tarnish a little bit of my enjoyment of the film and of the film's structure itself but besides that it's still a fun film to hate it as much as some people are would be absolutely ridiculous it's nowhere near the crime to humanity that people are making it out to be it is a more than serviceable star wars film one that doesn't even have to be considered a part of the main series and that's incredible and do you that uh, I, I recommend those if you don't if you don't like Star Wars it's not going to change your mind but it, there's going to be something there that some people don't connect with in other Star Wars that they will enjoy here and I think that's going to be fun to figure out who's who now that we live in a post Rogue One world right well that's good uh, I had it rated as a four point five on five Grand. from my scale. And I'm going to stick to that. I won't give it a five because it's definitely not a masterpiece or anything. However, I do feel that this is a very solid Star Wars film. It's a very different Star Wars film. It plays on some of the same themes and it reinterprets them. Uh, And as a result, to me, it was a very interesting movie-going experience. It sheds light on the the original trilogy in a way that I didn't think we could kind of change yeah. what they had done and so if I'm going to make a list today it really fits nice and neatly right underneath The Force Awakens as third best Star Wars film in my opinion but again that's me just being biased it, I, I, I appreciate 
a lot of of uh, of what has been done in this uh, film. So that's it. That's it for me. Perfect. Three point five, uh, four point five on five. I think it's a uh, fantastic film. See it, see it in IMAX, and you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. Great. Well, shall we shall we let ourselves out for the year? Yes, sir. We'll let ourselves out for the year. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast for 2016. We started this, what, we're episode 18, which means, what, three months ago? No, six months ago? My math Oh, my sucks. God, yeah. No, we, we started, started, we started in, like, July. <laughs> Whatever. And, uh... <laughs> I want to thank everyone for the positive feedback. This has been a bit surreal for, for me, anyway. Yeah. Uh, getting a bit of a following with regards to all of this. It's a great way to close out the year. Uh, meeting you was a fantastic. One of the of most course. positive things that's <laughs> happened to me in the new year. And so I just want to wish you, specifically, Lee, a very Merry Christmas and say thank you very much for believing in this project. Love you very much, sir. Your candor is oh. always appreciated. And we're going to be having fun in the new year quite a bit. Oh, man. And so that's... That's it for me. <laughs> you can find me at film underscore faculty on Twitter. You can check out the reviews on film faculty. I haven't posted anything since arrival. I might delve into Rogue One, maybe give you guys a Cliff's Notes the way that Lee calls it for, for this one as well. That's right. Be sure to listen. We have a playlist out there with 18 episodes for you guys to go on and listen to throughout the holidays. You can actually start from episode one of ours and just evaluate. Wait, have these guys gotten worse or better? We love your feedback. <laughs> they started out right with Jason Bourne, on man. Rogue one. <laughs> yeah. We'd love your feedback on Rogue One. How did you guys feel about the picture? Be sure to comment on the track on SoundCloud and leave us comments there. Go subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a little comment there that'll give us a hand. And that's it. Where can we find you, Lee? I am at bigpicturereviews.co.uk where you can uh, read my, my initial take on Rogue One. And also, again, this month we're going to be doing top tens and stuff. I've got the others, the other critics who work for the site all kind of collaborating, getting things together. So it's going to be a really, it's going to be a really busy but fun time to kind of wrap things up. Um, and then you can get me on Twitter at Big Pick Reviews. And I'll just quietly say, I've had a great year, Jason. Thank you. It's been great. I'm not as I'm not I'm not I'm not an emotional or, or expressive person, but uh, you know, love you too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's it. Us signing off for 2016. We wanna wish you guys a Merry Christmas. A happy new year. We'll be on Twitter during the holidays. Obviously, I'm going to take a bit of a break because I need to spend time with my kids and the family and stuff like that. Well, I'll need mm. to. I want to. I want to. Uh, and so I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we start to kick off the new year in a new way. Uh, send us any suggestions that you guys want for uh, reviews. Um, and that's it. I don't know. What are we doing next? We have no idea. Not a clue. We'll stay in touch and all that. And so that's it. So this is us signing off. Thank you very much for tuning in. Take care. Bye-bye.
This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.